How's it going, everybody? It's 535-ish on Thursday evening. It is our regularly scheduled trip down the homeward path. This is the show by me. My name is Adam. I'm a husband, father of three, work a full-time factory job, and somehow, someway, we still try our best to find a way to make competitive magic work. So whether you're on a budget or a crunch for time or both, that's what I'm here for. So, while we were away this week, we got our first handful of looks at Eldraine. And again, I don't want to dive too heavily into uh, full-on spoiler season. I'm going to save, like, actual individual card spoiler reactions and stuff for uh, writing in cars. But mechanically speaking, it's a set we can, we can go ahead and take a quick look at. You know, we can look at the two new mechanics that we've seen so far. And then dive into our main topic of the week which ties back into our riding in cars episode yesterday for most of you which was about a deck where we took something that was out there something with a with a strong rigid framework that everyone swore you couldn't change and we changed it slightly and ended up getting some some decent results out of it the technical term for that when it comes to deck building, at least according to one Patrick Chapin, is killing your darlings. <laughs> so we're going to look at what it takes, why it is you would be interested in doing such a thing from a tuning level, from a deck choice level, and then of course from a deck building level. But who's not going to kill your darlings is our sponsor over at inkgaming.com. Use our promo code CCMTG10 at checkout. Get 10% off your order. Let's them know we sent you, and it gives us a little bit of something extra to, you know, help make the shows better. While you're at it, head over to constructedcriticism.com. They won't kill your darlings either. In fact, they'll embrace them with open arms as they give you some of the best content on the web, bar none. It just, it just is. It's some of the best magic content I consume on a regular basis. You know, I'm not just an employee, so to speak. I'm a fan. So, you know, I was a fan well before I, well before my episodes got posted here. So, do yourself a favor, check that stuff out. And if you want to help me avoid having to kill my darlings, uh, and I, and, and by that, of course, I mean the podcast. Um, head over to patreon.com slash homewardpathmtg. Uh, the show's always going to be free, but if you feel like what I'm doing, what I'm talking about is helping you enough that you want to contribute back, I will be more than happy to put that to good use. Uh, and there are some, some rewards available to those of you who decide to pledge. So with all that out of the way, let's dive in. While we were away this week, we got our first big kind of batch of Eldraine spoilers. And in them, we got, this set is just dripping, oozing flavor. It feels very much like a top-down design set, which is to say we have a theme, and everything seems to be designed pretty strongly uh, around that theme. We have, you know, Brothers Grimm meets Arthurian legend, and I am just a thousand percent here for this. This is awesome. But the actual mechanics of the set that we've seen so far are kind of limited. 
pun intended, I guess. Um, we've gotten two primary mechanics that we've seen so far. The first is adventure, and this is the weird one. This is the one that's going to take a little bit of wrapping your head around. So adventure, <clears throat> excuse me, sorry, my voice is a little bit hoarse from work. Uh, adventure is a mechanic in which you want to, it's, it's, a, it's like a split card, except you get both halves. Because in the, it's on creatures, at least so far we've only seen it on creatures. You cast, basically the front half you cast for whatever mana cost, and it's an instant or sorcery. And you resolve the instant or sorcery, and then as part of the resolution you exile it, and then it remembers that it was cast as an adventure, so you can then cast the creature part of it later. Best of my knowledge, it's not going to be a case where we can exile the creature to other effects and then be able to cast it. Because they're not going to do that. I really hope that's not something we're going to do. But the idea of having split cards that double as instants and sorceries and creatures is super sweet. And seems to hearken to a bit of a slowdown in the standard format. Because that kind of that kind of ability, the ability to have what is functionally a spell with a creature strapped onto it is exactly mid-range. That's what mid-range decks have done for years. You know, mid-range decks usually have to look really, really hard to find these cards. So being able to just like have a, have a series of them in the set is super cool. In addition, the other mechanic that we've seen so far is going to make, make for some interesting tension in deck building. Uh, the other mechanic we've seen so far is Adamant, which appears on monocolor cards and gives you a bonus to that card if you spent three mana of the color the card is. So, for example, there's a red one that's like, it's two and a red to deal three damage to to target creature or planeswalker, maybe it's any target. Like its fail state is open fire, which is like not great, but not completely awful. But then its upside is if you pay the if you get adamant with it, if you if you paid three red mana to cast it, it deals four damage instead. So then it becomes a better char. It becomes an easier to cast uh stoke the flames it becomes you know a lot it just all the way around it's just a better it, it's just three mana four damage as long as you're willing to pay three red mana notably doesn't have to be three red mana from basic mountains although that's obviously the easiest place to get it from but the fact that you can just spend three red mana to deal four damage upstairs super big deal four da even if it's four damage to a creature super big deal Three mana, four damage is not nothing, and the fact that it's an instant is not nothing. It's it's going to be something that's going to see play, but like that's the kind of that's the kind of bonus you're getting on adamant spells. And that's really as far as I want to dive into Eldraine on this show. Uh, once we have a lot more cards to work with, I'm definitely going to be doing a writer uh, writing a cards episode on impressions of Eldraine and like things I'm looking forward to, but. You know, that's, that's the two mechanics we have so far. We, uh, and then sprinkled throughout, we have a bunch of other, like, 
Oh, that's the third one. I'm sorry. There's one more mechanic. Food. Food tokens. Cards create food tokens. They are non-creature artifacts. You can pay two mana, tap them, sacrifice them to gain three life. Which really helps tie up the loose end of why there was a gingerbread, a gingerbread man in the uh, in the in the Eldraine invitational boxes that were sent out to the Twitch streamers. Super cool. As a from a flavor perspective, it's really cool to have food because first of all, it's it's never really been depicted in magic. And it has been uh, it has been the source of many a joke. It also gives really, really good flavor to uh, cards like Gilded Goose, to cards like, uh, you know, Bacon to a Pie that have been previewed so far that have very, very flavorful effects that involve food. And yes, I know that is really punny, and it is definitely going to be a part of MTG Dad Jokes later. But not only can you sacrifice food to gain life, but there's other cards that let you sacrifice food for other benefits. Or there's other cards that let you tap artifacts for other benefits. So like just having a bunch of non-creature artifacts is not nothing. And then if you find yourself in a pickle, you can use your food to survive. <laughs> so like that's a pretty cool mechanic. <sighs> Excuse me. Uh, what a day. Mm. So... That's all I got about Aldrain. Three mechanics. Adventure is like a split card, but very mid-range oriented. Adamant is an interesting tension against the Ravnica idea of being very multicolor. You want to just play the best cards you can across all colors, whereas Adamant cards really want you to focus on your own color. You know, the speculation there is that Devotion returns in Theros because of this. You know, this is just a, a plant for the standard format that's going to lead back into a devotion theme in Theros. I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to pretend to speculate on what that means. I don't know what Theros Beyond Death looks like yet. Nobody does except the people working on it. So, and then we have food. And uh, anybody who knows me knows I love food. So, let's talk about our main topic this week. And this part's actually going to be fairly short because... While it's, it's a topic that definitely needs to be spoken about, it's not a topic that there's really a ton to say about. And that's the idea of killing your darlings when it comes to tuning a deck list, when it comes to building, a, when it comes to choosing a deck, and when it comes to building a deck from scratch. So what I mean when I say killing your darlings is taking something that is out there that is that either you know you have put out there as something that you're really all about, that you are you know never leave home without it, or something that's out there on the web, you know as commonly accepted gospel regarding like what certain decks play. A really good example being initially the the um, cards like Discovery and Dispersal in Is It Phoenix and Standard. It was widely assumed that this you couldn't play the deck without that card. Because it was the closest thing you got to Thought Scour and Standard, so you have to play that card. And then we got Finale of Promise, and we got to play Standard for a while, and we realized it's not that good. 
at least not in the build that we had access to prior to rotation. Charter Course, Tormenting Voice were really close to being the same card. They were both a lot better at setting up what you wanted out of Phoenix. There's not really a good reason specifically to play Discovery Dispersal when it doesn't work with your most powerful card. You know, for a while, a card like Radical Idea was widely considered cannot cut this card. A card like Goblin Electromancer, widely considered cannot cut this card. And then Jim Davis goes and wins a, an MCQ playing a list that he, and I, for the life of me, I can't remember who it was that he got the list from. But a deck that, that just cut all of those cards. You cut Goblin Electromancer for Augur of Volus because it was better in the aggro matchups. It was better against Cry the Carnarium. It was better against Shock, Disfigure. You know, all the stuff that people were playing that was going to be otherwise pretty good against you. Having a 1-3 and then it's like randomly relevant at plinking down Planeswalkers. It's a lot of peas. Anyway, it's, you know, it was, that's what the card was for. Well, you know, you can't play it with less than four with, uh, with, oh, I can't remember what it was. You have to play it with all four Crackling Drakes, and then he cut two Crackling Drakes for God Eternal Kefnet. Well, you can't play it with, uh, with no Discovery Dispersal. We didn't play any of that deck. What about Radical Idea? No, we're not playing that either. We're just going to play a lot of the best cards we can, have a reasonable fair game, and then have the ability to do the Phoenix thing. And then, like, Finale of Promise is also just busted with Kefnet because you can cast it for two mana and cast two two drops out of your graveyard. And then things just go sideways real quick for your opponent. So, I mean, it was just really, really good. And it only came about because they were willing to look at what was there and say, no, we're not going to do that. We need, we need something better. Well, why would you do that to yourself? Why would you, why would you look at what's there and, and decide to go against the grain. You can get it against the grain because we were talking about food earlier. Um, but why would you choose to go against the grain? Well, it's, it's simple, really. Going against the grain, you do it because you feel like you have a specific hole in the metagame you want to attack, or you are playing around what everyone else is playing. It was said by, I think it was Paul Rietzel some time ago, said one of the biggest secrets to competitive magic, regardless of format, is make sure that the commonly played removal and interaction is not good against you. That is one of the biggest reasons to kill the darlings of the format when you're tuning. Is making sure that what everybody else is doing is not as good against you as what it is against everybody else. You know, it was the same line of, that line of thought is what led us to cutting the mana creatures out of the, the Sultai deck. We wanted to have a better matchup in the mirror. We wanted to have a better matchup against control. And when they're playing a lot of these cheap, efficient removal spells that are not very good against what we do, but they're really good at helping slow us down from getting there, play something else. Play another way to get us there faster. That's what we did. By contrast, it also comes up in deck choice. And this is the big one. I can't tell you how many people I have met that said, I'm an aggro player, I'm a control player, I'll never play blue. Sometimes that's what the format calls for. 
I never thought I'd see myself playing mono blue tempo. My God, that deck was fun. I, I you know, it was it was something I I was interested in because I saw how it lined up against the format. I've had some success locally, at least with tempo decks in the past, but like nothing like this one where you were much more like a like a fish deck than you were a real like Delver style tempo deck. I hope that makes sense. You're much more like a Merfolk deck where you're just playing out threats and then you have like just enough interaction to make sure your stuff stays on the board versus being something like, you know, Delver or Fairies or, you know, all the, the, the styles of deck like that that I've been really drawn to in the past. Mono Blue, like, it, it, took, it took very little convincing for me to look at it seriously but it was definitely a deck that I was glad I picked up. You know, there was the summer of Mono Red before before uh, Kaladesh rotated. I've never been a Mono Red player. But it was the deck I had access to that gave me the best chance to win games. So I played it. Yeah, there was a bunch of other stuff I would have rather played that I would have, that you know, would have been much more my quote style. But I just played the deck that gave me the best chance to win. I didn't particularly enjoy playing mono red, but I didn't particularly enjoy playing standard that summer anyway. So it didn't really matter. You know, Mardu Pyromancer, I am awful at playing Mardu decks, regardless of the format, regardless of the, you know, how good the cards are. But that Mardu Pyromancer deck really spoke to me as far as like how it lined up against the modern format when it came out and was a big part of the reason I got into it. And I ended up growing as a magic player because of it. Like, it was a deck that really did well outperformed my expectations for it. And, you know, two, three years ago, before I built it, I might have never looked at it twice. Because it was just a pile of removal and disruption and, you know, a pile of removal and hand disruption and a little bit of card advantage. And to me, that's always been, you know, a recipe for drawing the wrong half of your deck at the wrong time and getting blown out. Not in Mardu Pyromancer. I was willing to look past my own deck choice prejudice to get into something that gave me a chance to perform. And then last but not least, when it comes to deck building, this is the one that gets me the most. This is the one that I have the most trouble with, is, is killing my darlings when it comes to building decks. I am really bad about trying to force a particular style of deck like all the time. One of those styles of decks is tempo. I love building tempo decks. Sometimes they're just bad. And no amount of trying to patch it up with good fundamental deck building is going to make it good. Sometimes it's just not good enough. Sometimes it doesn't line up well against the format. Even though on paper it looks fine, like sometimes it's just not good. So, you know... Sometimes I have to put my blue spells down for a little while, play a little red, play a little green. That's a little green is a, is a Dragon Ball Z abridged reference, and I'm here for that. Um, anyway. Um, sorry, brain, fog, almost home. But, you know, killing your darlings in deck building is one of the hardest things to do. Whether it's, you know, pet, 
archetypes, pet concepts. Like, you know, for me in modern, for a long time, I was trying to make Delver decks work in modern and they just, they are not good enough anymore to me. I've tried many iterations and they are just plain not good enough. Or even going somewhere as far as like cutting pet cards from decks, cards that you always play. Maybe just give it some time. Maybe, maybe just don't, maybe don't do that. Maybe don't play a card that you know probably isn't good enough just because you really, really like it. It's something I struggle with a lot. I, oh, what's a really good example from lately, from, from recently? Oh, Cryptic Serpent. I tried so hard to make Cryptic Serpent a good magic card, and it's just not. I, you know, I did a, a discard deck that will like trade one for one and then play cards like Charter Course and, uh, and Glimmer of Genius and then, you know, play this giant 6-5 on the board. And then it just never got in because it was a 6-5 ground creature for, you know, at absolute best case two mana. Like, yeah, it was cool to get to cast it, but like, Sometimes, sometimes the thing you're really interested in is just not good enough. I mean, I tried for a while to make, uh, what's another good, what's another example? Um, Legion Conquistador. That was another one because it was, it was a callback to Squadron Hawk. I was like, this card's going to be busted. And then it was horrible. It was like mildly playable in the Oketra's Monument decks and literally nowhere else. just wasn't good that didn't stop me from trying to force it so you know one of the big benefits to getting practice with going through and doing this with talking yourself out of stuff whether it's from uh, a tuning standpoint when you take a deck that's already out there and you're trying you're testing it to see how it feels against the metagame you're going into and you feel like maybe you you know something about this metagame that nobody took into consideration. Whether it's in, you know, diversifying your spread of the style of deck you play, or even just talking yourself out of a pet card because other people are going to try to do it anyway. Like, be aware that there are advantages to be gained from doing this. When it comes to tuning a deck, the biggest advantage is almost immediate. There are advantages. There, there are there are things you get to do in the format that are otherwise impossible. You know, the Sultai mid-range deck we did with uh, with Growth Spiral. Actual card draw in a in a in the Sultai mid-range deck was just you had Hydro Crisis. That was it. So having an extra card that was a medium to good top deck, depending on what was under it, was awesome. It didn't leave us at the mercy of whatever, you know, trying to survive another turn to wait for an extra explore to resolve, for example. You know, your explore resolves, you leave the card on top, and then you have to hope to live long enough to draw it. That's not very good. So, and then from a, from a deck choice standpoint, you not only gain the benefit of being able to uh, diversify your abilities as a Magic player, Sometimes just getting out of your comfort zone and playing something that is better positioned against the format, even if it's not something you like, 
just directly leads to you winning an event. It hasn't me yet. Actually, I take that back. What was the tag? What was the tag? What was the tag? No, it hasn't directly led to me winning an event yet. I had to stop and think about it for a minute. But it can. Not to say it will, but it can. And spreading yourself out, getting a little bit more practice, also has the benefit of giving you a wider base, not just to play with, but you know how to play against it. That's a big deal. When you know how to play against stuff, it makes you a better ma- it gives you a better op gives you a better opportunity to win down the line. Even if you end up reverting back into your comfort zone, you've had experience playing against stuff that maybe helps you win matches you don't actually deserve to win otherwise. So, and then from a from a pet card perspective, I mean that one is just I everybody's going to struggle with that one until the end of time. But the biggest the biggest advantage gained in killing the darling of a pet card is the amount of time, effort, and energy and capital invested into trying to make it good. You save yourself a lot of headaches by just admitting that a card is maybe not as good as we think it is. And that's all I've got for this week, everybody. I'm, I'm sorry, the, the main topic was a little brief. I know, but them's the brakes. Uh, I'm in the driveway now. It's funny because brake pedal. Anyway, if you like what I'm doing, you want to talk to me about it, find me on Twitter. I'm at HomewardPathMTG. You can find me on Facebook. My name is Adam Spain. You can find me in the Facebook group, the Homeward Pathfinders. Uh, it's open invite. Just send a request. One of the admins will give you a quick once over. Make sure you don't look like a horrible human being, and then we'll give you the ad. We'll see how we do. Uh, if you're a patron of the show, you gain access to the patron discord and uh, patrons also gain access to having their decks published on riding in cars with cards. So, you know, that's a little nugget for everyone. If you're a $3 or more patron, you gain access to that. And yeah, that's, that's all we got. So let's dive into my favorite segment every week. Hashtag. MTG dad jokes. Did I already do that one? Yeah, I did that one. Okay. First up, the these the first two happened in person on Saturday. So I went to play Saturday Night Modern, and I ended up breaking even. I went two two with a very 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 bad build of is it Phoenix post bannings. I was trying to do a whole bunch of stuff, and I really should not have tried to do a whole bunch of stuff. But. The best part about the entire evening was getting to play competitive magic, 60 card decks with one Brian Canada, or as the most of you on the web know him, Cure for the Common Game. That's right. He sleeved up 60 card deck and it was burned, but that's okay. He said, I'm a terrible magic player. I missed my opportunity to sing Ice Ice Baby by not running light up the stage. And I said, I'm both proud of you for remembering this joke during our match and disappointed in you for not committing to it by remembering to run the card. <laughs> so to, to set the stage, if you will, <laughs> we, were, we were playing along and, you know, he, we, he lost a, a close game one. 
And we were shuffling, and I said, hey, do you, do you run light up the stage in your deck? And he says, what, so I can wax a chump like a candle? And then we started trying to ride a little bit further back, and we, we were talking commander, and we were like, you know, uh, cast this creature, break your rock with a vandal, light up the stage, and wax a chump like a candle. Um, <laughs> yeah, we, you know, we went real deep on that one. Everyone enjoyed the laugh. And by everyone, I mean me and him. Everybody else just kind of gave us weird looks. And then another one from Brian was, so for the very best magic-related food tokens, many cereal boxes, and not just any cereal, Cheerios, Pebbles, and Tricks. Bonus points to anybody who knows what I'm talking about and why that is hilarious as a magic dad joke. Uh... And now all of you are going to know because I'm going to explain it. Cheerios being a modern deck that wins by casting lots and lots of zero mana artifact or zero mana equipment via pure steel paladin and SRAM. Draw a ton of cards, use retract to pull them all back into your hand, recast them, draw more cards, find a storm spell. It's called Cheerios because you run so many zero mana cards. Pebbles and Tricks are both older examples. Pebbles being an enduring renewal. Uh, Goblin Bombardment, Kobolds of Carekeep deck, where you would infinitely loop Kobolds of Carekeep, Goblin Bombardment, thanks to Enduring Renewal, returning a creature to your hand every time a creature dies. It returns that creature to your hand instead of putting it in the graveyard. And Kobolds of Carekeep cost nothing and would just repeatedly keep coming back and killing your opponent, little by little. Goblin Bombardment would sacrifice it for one damage. And then Trix is the original competitive combo deck. Uh, illusions of grandeur and donate because you say tricks are for kids and you give it to them uh, but yeah that one I love that one uh, the next one is from Evan Irwin says do you see the pun clever Watsy very clever and it is Reed Duke previewing charming prince which is first of all really funny in and of itself uh, because you know the card kind of favors Reed. Not it, It's not obviously not designed to be him, but it definitely favors him. And then the card is a, mo is a creature, but it's modal. Like it has three modes. As it enters the battlefield, choose one of three modes. What does that sound like? What, uh, what kind of, what kind of card does that sound like? It sounds like a charm. So it's a charming prince. Wizards went deep on that one. Uh, next up, we have Luis Scott Vargas says, I'm not sure why Wizards Magic gave me this particular preview card, but I got to say that it's a snap keep, and the card is Roving Keep, which is an allusion to Howl's Moving Castle. I'm super, I'm super stoked about that, just the fact that they made a reference to that at all. And then, let's see, from Riley Knight. Food is a really flavorful mechanic. Thank you. I will see myself out. I already made this joke. I'm going to make it again at least a thousand more times because it's hilarious. And then last but not least, in a reply to Spencer, who said who did the, the meme thing that's going around right now, the green three-color combos and magic are so cool. Jund is grindy with big dudes. Bant can play ramp and play control. Teamer is the undisputed best and most fun. Naya is blazing fast. Abzan. Sultai lets you play in the graveyard. <laughs> and uh, 
It's what is what is the name? At it's Callum Brainstorm it says Abzan is junk. Come on, anybody who was playing pre cons, you know what I'm talking about. It is Abzan is definitely junk because that's what every Abzan deck was called before Abzan was the name. It was junk, junk rights, junk reanimator, PT junk in modern. You know, it, it was not Abzan until we actually got Abzan. <laughs> so I'm here for that joke. Thanks again. <laughs> and that's all I got this week, everybody. Thanks again for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we'll be back again probably Monday morning, maybe Monday night. Uh, I'm going to be recording riding in cars on my way home from the Titans game on Sunday. Uh, Andrew Elliott is taking me. He's just decided I have to go with him for this. So I'm going to go watch the Titans play the Colts. And during my long drive home at some point, I am going to record the episode of Riding in Cars so that I don't forget, unless my voice is shot from screaming too much, at which point I won't. So that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thanks, everybody. Uh, We'll catch you next week. Hope you have a good one.